Welcome to October's edition of Sleeping with the Moon. This being the 10th out of a series of 12 episodes charting my 12 full moon sleepouts of 2021. The name of the October moon is the Hunter's Moon, which comes from the First Nations as well as European countries in the Northern Hemisphere. It was at this time of year when the animals were fattened or fattening in readiness to see them through the winter months. And therefore, hunting became very important at this time of the year for human populations around the globe. I've given it the title The Hunter and the Hunted, for it occurred to me that when the hunter is hunting, he or she may inadvertently become the hunted. The Hunter and the Hunted As night drew in, drowning the colours of the day, the hunter stepped out of his low-ceilinged, closely-walled home. The lingering light of October was slowly fading. Blackberries, now shriveled and sour, looked on with bitterness at the swelling pride of autumnal apples. He liked the speed and silence of travelling on two wheels, covering so much ground so quickly, so quietly. The road sang on the rubber of tyres past farmhouse windows, where drawn curtains were glowing with the promise of cosy evening warmth. The indoor humans, now bowing to the ritual of supper, feasting in shuttered houses before retiring upstairs below quilt and cover. Quiet descending, twilight thawing, night creeping over hungered fields. A flurry of wind lifted a coven of crows towards grey brooding clouds. A car growled on a gravel stone drive. The zip of a plane with starboard green wing rending the sky rumble. A metallic trundle of train, window after window, light after light, blurring snapshot lives. The sip, sip, suppering of a swan, sentinel of the reen, sifting ghostly pale in duckweed water. Red and white streaks of motorway traffic, riding rubber over earth's tarmac-plastered wound, a distant croaking call catching his ears. Rushing wind, downhill gliding, winged arms outstretched, tingling fingers filtering air along the ditch-bound drove, laid on the bones of ash, hawthorn, bulrush and reed. Freewheeling, dark drifting, night surfing, moon hunting, sharpening the senses. The quarry loomed in sight, a wedge of woodland slanting northwest, and the brakes slowed the wind. From public road to private track, the hunter pulled against the resistance of tightly coiled sprung lever, and the gate swung open. The shooting bolt returned, resounding through the five barred gun metal barrier. From open sky, to tree-lined tunnel, 
bordering the wood of ash and oak, sycamore and holly, the hunter trod the central reservation with two wheels in tow, where oversized tyres had gouged their way into puddled ruts, seeking the deep earth as nourishing antidote to the grey metal road. The green middle ground, a tongue-like spit of land, reached, then petered into the darkness ahead, running parallel to the shaded channels of unstirred water. One last searching beam of carlite threw the hunter's shadow onto the hedgeline before fading into oblivion. The cloak of night tightened over the canopy, leaving minute sky holes of pin-pricked light. From the visible marks of boot print and tyre track to padlock gate, he stood on the fence boundary, silent and still, as the muted breeze rustled the dying of autumn leaves. A raven, definitely a raven, flying above the treetops unseen, close enough to hear the wind filtering through feathers, a sombre cry, a sound that alerted the hunter's senses. Climbing the threshold, forbidden to man, the hunter trespasses, senses keen to unwanted challenge, and finds a path under bending boughs between trunk walls. A voice says, stop. But the hunter ignores. Scurried footfall, leaves scatter, and a startled barking reverberates, a booming rebuke for being disturbed as two deer bolt from thick undergrowth. The hunter follows with his keen eye as they fly, twisting through thicket and scrub. Boots continue along the track, threading through branch and bramble. Something standing grey emerges from the shadow. A tall stone buried deep in the soil, carved by the erosion of time, pointing to the infinity of stars. Looking for a bedding spot, away from any unwelcome human visitors, the choice is limited. A patch of grass-rich boggy ground or tangled undergrowth. Stamping down nettle stems and clearing unwanted holly shoots, the hunter chooses the only level patch available, the path itself. Settling down, a flustered rook cackles overhead before others join the call. Fifth floor residents ruffling their feathered downs in readiness for sleep, now aware of the newly arrived migrant on ground floor. Owl's piercing cry cuts like laser, a predator admired for its prowess. Laying his bed, he takes in the night, from the black and the blind. The unknown crackles and scratching, faint wafts of earth, the shaving breeze, a gossamer thread. Alone on a moated isle, away from humans, fenced and ditched 
surrounded by the green of teeming reeds and patrolling spectral white swans. The hunter nestled in his goose-down bivy and drifted into sleep. His dream ears heard the sound of an engine, brilliant lights on moving vehicles shining over green fields, hand-held torches searching for intruders. His dream eyes saw the dust of craters, lunar firmer, a large standing stone pointing up to the emptiness, pitch black. People walking on a bridge, looking down at the stone that starts to shiver, shudder, crumble and shatter, before slowly reassembling into the shape of the hunter. The gurgling throat of raven flies overhead, lacerating the dream, slicing the black forest of night, a mournful, swooning cry that wakes him. The cyclopic eye of the rising moon, now divided into tiny segments by the view through mosquito netting, detects him, pegged to the forest floor between the tangled bars of forest. A distant hum of cars rolling like the sea. A red blinking plane rumbling faintly. The only colour in a monochrome world. Now in his mid-fifties, his eyesight was still excellent. Something he loved to brag about. And his sense of direction was equal to the inner compass of any migrating bird. In his youth, he'd led a hiking group into Dartmoor over a long, gruelling weekend. He threw the compass away on the first day. The group followed, and they broke all records, marching overnight through mire and moor. He wasn't afraid of the dark. He wasn't afraid of anything. Always in nature, tracking, waiting, watching, baiting. But he never stopped to admire it. For him it was just a space, a place where the trail was found, that gave the clue to the quarry. The abundance and wonder of nature reduced to a hunting ground. His sister called him Hiawatha and quoted Longfellow. She was a writer. She questioned him about the similarities and differences of their passions, or obsessions as she called them, to which he always showed reluctance and a dismissive tone. We're all hunters, he would say, hunting for food, a home, a career, a partner, except you, she replied. But are we the hunters of our passions, or are we hunted by them? Think of Actaeon, who saw the goddess Diana naked and was punished. He was transformed into a deer and hunted by his own hounds. No comment. So she continued. Do I lure the unfathomable beast to my page, baiting it with wormy morsel word, to illuminate what lies in the murky unknown? Or am I cursed by the lexicon of subconscious soup that comes hunting for me, demanding I write its story? Everyone's trying to outfox, outrun, and outwit their own caged fear and insecurities. Don't you think? Her brother remained quiet, then replied, Orion, 
the greatest hunter, told Gaia that he could catch anything, and that sums it up perfectly for me. Yeah, right, she said, but he was killed by her giant scorpion. Silence. Giant scorpions don't exist, he smirked. Why are you so evasive? No comment. Have you ever read Moon Horrors by Ted Hughes? That might give you another perspective. She found it on her phone. But the thing that specialises in hunting down the great hero is the flying strangler, Silent Zero. When a moon hero appears, it descends and hovers just over his head. His enemies call it a halo, but his friends see it and tremble with dread. And sure enough, in the very best of his days, that zero drops around his neck, tightens and whirls away with him into the sun's blaze. No comment. The gloomy guttural call of Raven severed his cord of thought, like the knife he always kept at his side for cutting, skinning, slicing. The desolate notes echoed like gunshots from the rocks higher up. His mind, now alerted, triggered his body into motion, and abandoning the bivy, he followed the climbing path, avoiding the embedded rock that bulged like petrified boils. He was now on the scent, filtering out the indiscriminate scurrying and the poetic fall of one leaf in the swelling moonlight. Scaling the track, he lifted his right boot over a fallen trunk, coming down on a slime of mushrooms spilling from its damp underbelly like the moist teats of a sow. Momentarily regaining his balance, the left foot landed, then slipped on something that cracked and croaked under his weight. The body of a raven. In the penumbra of fallen bowl, he watched a wing lift to stroke the cooling air. A clawing foot scratching the dirt, one black eye shining, crepuscular. Squatting down, he held the body with one hand and the burnished beak opened with a rasping whimper. He extended the neck and twisted sharply, without remorse or malice. The dark form lay limp and lifeless. Folding the bird inside his jacket, he followed the rocky path's climb until he reached the cliff face. He followed the surf of petrified waves, rolling over surface and crevice within the moonlit rocks. A dark hole loomed higher up, and climbing the stone steps he squinted into the impenetrable darkness of a cave. Running his hands along the walls that stretched back several metres, he left the body of the bird on a ledge and retraced his steps for bedding and firewood. Under the light of the ever-changing sky, he reflected on the raven, adding to his collection of native birds, especially the corvids, for now he had completed the set. Jackdaw, jay, magpie, rook, crow and raven. Result. Back at the cave, he took the bird and stretched its wings wide, hooking and wedging them into the wall 
before propping its head into a crevice. Clearing the stones, he laid his bed, then a fire, igniting the dry tinder. Hunting was a meditation, a sacred place, a lonely pursuit. To be a great hunter, you had to utilise every sense and there could be no distractions. To know how to catch, you had to be caught. In other words, getting into the mind of the quarry, knowing their habits and behaviour. He had learned from others, from reading, watching, from travelling, and those memories and vivid faces now began to flicker in the dancing light. The play of shadows and firelight draped the walls, forming liquid shapes of stone. The slumbering wings began to stir in the heat. The sand bushman followed the call of the honeybird, working in partnership to share the sweet spoils of the bees. The Aboriginal people of Australia would swim with a hat of floating reeds to pull water birds from below or spear a single fish from the standing balance of a boat. The First Nations would bamboozle deer at night by floating towards them on a boat, blinding them with a blazing torch lit at the prow. The hunter, unseen in a shadow, kneeling behind a painted bark screen ready to strike like the hawk descending on the dove from the blinding sun. Scanning the intense darkening of trees through the cave's portal, the concept of the dark forest came to mind. An idea from China about the possibility of other life in outer space. The dark forest was a place of the unknown, and the belief of remaining quiet and undetected was the better option than running the risk of being discovered and threatened by others who may be more technologically advanced. Kill or be killed was the real motto of the wild. Moonlight seeping into the liminal, thoughts melting into dreams. His dream ears heard the clang of metal Festival frames being assembled, and he wearing a white boiler suit sewn with words, strewn with musical notes, and a Venetian mask hiding his identity, with one red heart on its cheek. Another figure, dressed identically, took off its mask, revealing himself as his brother, who had died as a teenager. The tailgate of an animal truck opened slowly. An old-school friend stepped out with his prowling girlfriend, jaws and claws, growling in his sister's voice. You want more from Hughes? The sweat jumps on his brow. His lips writhe. Tears pour from his eyes. His bowels twist like a strong snake, and for some seconds he sways there, useless, with terrified surprise. But what chance does that wretch have against such an animal? He goes down with a yell. He woke with a chill, locked within the grey chambered rocks. Jagged ceiling, jutting walls, 
the fire now slumped to a barren glow of dying embers. From hermetic cell to hermetic seal, the snare had tightened, the trap snapped shut. Straining his eyes, he peered into the profound darkness of frozen forest. The moon lifted, clouds sifting light, and a swirl of mist rolled, drifting by. A heavy cloud smothered the moonlight, drowning the hunter in darkness. But there was something out there, provoking a sixth sense, in the umbral shadow, watching, waiting, skulking, baiting. Then something black slid through the black. Lacing his boots, strapping the knife, he scrambled to his feet, slipping down the stone steps in pursuit. He ran light-footed, bending forward to avoid low branches, his heart beating in exhilaration, aroused by chasing the unknown, the unnamed. No trace, no scent, no spore. Blindly led by a heightened sense, lured into the shadow of night. Shielding eyes from the overhang of decaying boughs, clattering of wood pigeon, startled from grasping ivy. Scrambling through the maze of snagging twists and turns, disentangling from the hooks of bramble snatch. Stenching fox, filling nostrils from earth-banked walls, trip falling in the tangle of toxin needle hair nettles. Something made him quieten his breath. Something made him stop, listening for footfall, perplexed and stimulated by this invisible conundrum. There, the shadow skimmed across the incandescent moonlit trunks, and he was running again, stooping, keeping up with his undisclosed prey. The light was fading. He stopped again his mind flashing to the great Africana who was transformed from hunter to hunted in a moment when a hyena loped into view, tongue lolling, sniffing the air, primed to kill in its cold, dark eyes. In the dead of night, a cloud drowns the moonlight sinking the hunter into darkness, womb-dark silence, tomb-dark silence. A strong pervading odour, a rasping gurgle, brushing the nape of his neck, and he turns. A tall, upright shape edges towards him, ever-widening, reaching and wrapping, a pungency of animal, smothering and suffocating, feathered, choking, clenched with submission, seized without struggle. Morning came, sharp and crisp. Corvid cries squawked overhead, enough to wake the dead. Crow stirred deeply, the penetrating cackle of incumbent rooks, resounding critical and clear. Scampering claws, squirrel nibbling, shell case dropping, bounding from boughs in a shower of husks scattering. Dome-shaking plains, 
resonate and rumble, taken to the air from overnight roosts, like skyrockets in early morning's autumnal display. A white-tip-winged bird took off in vertical flight, and stirring from his downy bivy nest, he nibbled at breakfast. Craving for something fresh, late blackberries and early apples are foraged and found, seeds tried and tasted, as hawthorn berries are pecked and picked by blackbirds, throaty swallowers, red-tongued, yellow-beaked. He climbs, rising towards the edge of the coombe to perch with the treetops, witnessing the wing-flurry songbirds fluting into the dense evergreen, marvelling at tiny white butterflies, 40 metres high, sailing onto grassy slopes. If only he could join them, the age-old yearning and desire to fly. Bending his knees and leaning forward, he stretches wide, pushing off the anchored rocks in pursuit of a new path. He feels the air rushing past his body. He feels the air rushing through his feathered wings. Well, thank you very much for listening to The Hunter and The Hunted today. Thanks go to Pommy Harmer for producing this. Also, thanks go to Ted Hughes for his poetry, his imagination and inspiration for some of the ideas behind this piece. It's interesting actually reading this and recording this it's made me realise where some of the influence of this piece has come from. I do hope you will join us next month in November and please spread the word.